0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Haggai. Haggai in the Old Testament. Haggai is near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, Uh, We do have paperback Bibles that are underneath the chairs in front of you, so you can grab one of those paperback Bibles, open to page 461. It'll be very helpful for you to have a Bible before you as we look at this text, chapter one of Haggai. A couple quick things, though, before we begin. Uh, The projector that we have been missing here in the sanctuary for a long time has arrived. We received it in the office this past week and it will be installed Thursday. Now, whether it will be working by next Sunday, I'm not gonna promise that, but the plan is to have it installed on Thursday, so we're getting very close to having this screen functional again, so once again, thanks for your patience. Uh, Also, we have the first annual New Life basketball tournament coming up, three-on-three basketball tournament, which uh, in one sense makes me kind of sad because I can't play in it, and the reason why is because uh, Mary and I are going on vacation, leaving tomorrow. We'll be gone for a couple weeks. And Pastor Brian will be bringing the word to you for the next two Sundays. But because of the bad timing, I can't play basketball. I love basketball, and I can't play in this tournament. Um, but I'm told that players are needed. I think there's three teams. It's a three-on-three tournament, and more players are needed. And uh, Dan would like signups to happen by today. So I think there's a sign-up sheet on the welcome Uh, Booth Welcome Center. So if you're a basketball player, make sure you sign up for that today. Okay, let me begin this morning by asking a question to you. What would you say is the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? You might find that question uh, a little difficult to answer. You might want to answer that with a number of things or people in your life i think clues can be found can be discovered uh, about the answer to that question by looking at the way you spend your time um, what you commonly talk about certainly the way you spend your money all have some indication as to what is most important to us well for the people of god in the old testament for the nation of israel Uh, One way that could be determined, that is what was most important to them, was in their attitude toward the temple, the temple. Now we've been going through this um, overview of the Old Testament and I regret to say I haven't really talked a lot about the temple, but the temple is of overwhelmingly significant importance uh, for the people of God in the Old Testament. It was the most central element of the worship of the people of God. The temple was called the the house of the Lord, uh, the people's sanctuary. The temple was the place where God would dwell with his people. That's how central it was. If people wanted to know God, have relationship with God, wanted to meet God, they would go to the temple. And the temple happens to be Haggai's concern. The minor prophet Haggai is concerned about the people's relation to the temple. It seems like it had no longer become the most important thing to them, and that's the concern that this minor prophet addresses. So uh, many of you know what we're doing here at New Life on Sunday mornings is going through the entire Bible. This sermon series is called Roots 66. There's 66 books in the Bible, and we're looking at each book one sermon at a time. We started in Genesis, moving forward to Revelation, and lately we've been in the minor prophets. And so today we reach this prophet named Haggai. And I've been showing you this chart as a way of showing you where Haggai falls uh, along the continuum with the other minor prophets. That uh, left column shows you the minor prophets who preached before the exile. So God had been threatening to God's people that if they did not obey him, that they would be exiled from the promised land. And that's exactly what happened. There's a number of prophets who came before that exile, bringing God's word, telling the people to repent or they would be exiled. Well, the people didn't respond. And exactly what God said happened. They were exiled. So um, Israel exiled to Assyria and Judah exiled to Babylon. Um, But a time came later where the people of God who were exiled returned and they got sent back to their homeland and so there are three minor prophets who were sent to speak to the people after the exile and so they're called post-exilic prophets the ones in the left left column pre-exilic prophets but you'll notice that Haggai is the first here of the post-exilic prophets so we have these three minor prophets to go And thank God we'll be done with the Old Testament and then we'll move forward to the New Testament. Uh, But today we're looking at uh, Haggai. And we'll look at Zechariah and Malachi next after I come back from uh, vacation. So um, Haggai, what do we know about him? We we don't really know hardly anything about him actually as an individual. Um, This has been the case for a lot of these minor prophets. They just kind of come on the scene. We don't have much biographical or background information on them, and Haggai uh, is is the same. However, we do know pretty clearly when this book was written because in the very first verse, it's very specific, the second year of Darius the king. So scholars place the writing of this book pretty squarely in the year 520 B.C. Uh, So this would be about 66 years after the destruction of the temple. That's something that happened when the exile happened. When Babylon and Assyria came in, they destroyed the temple. So the temple's been in rubble. And Haggai comes 66 years after the exile, after the destruction of the temple to teach the people. So significant event is the rebuilding of the temple. That's what Haggai is concerned with. Um, themes would include the centrality of the temple, its importance in the life of the people, as well as personal responsibility, the people's responsibility to continue the project of building the temple. So you'll see what I mean here uh, in a second. So we're just going to read here the first chapter of Haggai. It's only two chapters. The two cha- uh, second chapter is a little bit different than the first. So I'm just going to read the first chapter, verses 1 through 15. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word. You'll notice three people mentioned here in verse 1. Um, <clears throat> just let me identify these people before we begin the reading. Darius is uh, the king of Persia. So Persia had come and can- conquered the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the one who exiled the people of God. But when Persia conquered them, uh, Persia decided, we'll send the Jews back. That was under Cyrus. Well, Darius is now the king of Persia. Um, overseeing this return to the homeland. Zerubbabel is also mentioned. He's like a a, a governor, like a local leader. Uh, So he's a a, a Jewish man, governor of the land. And we also have Joshua mentioned in verse 1. He's the high priest. This is not the Joshua that we know of from earlier in the Bible, not the one after whom the book of the Bible is mentioned. That was many, many years prior. Joshua, a very common name. This is another Joshua, uh, but also we have Haggai the prophet. So let's start with chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. God, by your Holy Spirit, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, um, what do we learn here from the first chapter of Haggai? You might have noticed the repetition of a phrase. It was in verses 5 and 7, this exhortation to consider your ways. So, that's a very clear application point that Haggai is bringing forth, be reflective, examine yourself, take some time and think about what you're doing with your life, consider your ways, and so that's what we're going to use for our main points here this morning. The first thing that Haggai would tell us is to consider your priorities, consider your priorities. So here's the situation, I mentioned this already a moment ago, exiles had returned to the homeland. And they began to work on the temple. That work got started. We know that because it's described for us in the book of Ezra. Now, it's been a long time since we've been in the book of Ezra, but we did cover that and we talked about this very thing, you might recall. Ezra was one of the leaders of the people going back to the homeland and to begin building the temple. But you might recall there was a lot of opposition and pushback to that among some of the Samaritans in the area. And so the work on the temple stalled, and eventually came to an end. And nothing happened in the project of rebuilding the temple for about 16 years until Haggai was sent onto the scene. So the people aren't doing anything. The temple is lying dormant, and Haggai arrives. And so you see there in verse 1 that it says that Haggai is the one bringing the word of God. This is what the prophet does. He brings the word. So prophets speak on God's behalf. They are God's messengers. They're God's mouthpieces. And Haggai comes with the word of God and he challenges and confronts the people. And so in verse 2 it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They started, the work stopped, and now they're starting to make excuses. So when somebody brings up this idea of getting back to work on the temple, they say, eh, time's not right. Not right now. Now, why they said that, I guess we don't really know. Maybe they were intimidated by those who were opposing the work. Probably, more likely, they were just simply busy with other things, other priorities. Things became more important to them. It was easier to give their efforts and time to more personal things than to matters related to the temple, and I think we see that very clearly in verse 4. Let's look at verse 3 first, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and here is what Haggai says. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? So you See, this is Haggai's concern the reason that you're saying it's not time to build the temple is because you're too busy building your own houses. Uh, There's this mention of uh, your paneled houses, Uh, probably not really a reference to luxury uh, or exorbitant houses. I, I think the point here is that the paneling is something that you kind of put on as a finishing touch to your house. You know, it's not something that has much utility. It's not essential to the um, the uh, the structure of the house—it's just paneling, it's just stuff you're putting on the outside. It's the finishing touches, and what Haggai is saying: Well, you got all this time to do the finishing touches on your house, but you don't have time to do anything with the temple. That's Haggai's challenge. Now, <clears throat> we should be careful here, and I want to make this very clear because if any of you live in a nice house, you're probably feeling a little guilty right now, <laughs> and I don't think that's the purpose of what Haggai is saying. Haggai is not saying that you can't live in a nice house. This is not a condemnation of putting paneling or beautiful uh, ornaments in your home. The issue here is clearly the fact that the houses took priority over the temple. It's a priority issue. It's not the fact that they have nice houses, it's the fact that they have nice houses and they're letting the temple go to ruin. So, what Haggai says is, therefore, at the end of verse 5, therefore, consider your ways. Think about this. Reflect on this. Is this right that you're paneling your houses when the temple lies in ruin? Consider your priorities. And I think the very clear application for you and me is is this. What, what, What is the equivalent of a paneled house in your life What is the thing that just drags your heart away from spiritual things? What is it that causes you to be less interested in spiritual things so you can be more interested in this thing over here? What is it that captures your heart more than anything? What is the most important thing in your life? That's what Haggai is calling the people to consider. And one of the ways that we can reflect on this is by thinking of Something that uh, some writers have called this, Temples of Modern Idolatry. There's a guy named Jamie Smith who's written about this. Neil Batzig also is a, a pastor who has coined this, this term here. Temples of Modern Idolatry. You know, most of us don't think of going to a temple. We don't think of this room as a temple. Um, we don't generally go to temples. You probably don't know many people who go to a temple, except that there are kind of temple substitutes in our lives, places that we go to have our hopes and longings fulfilled. And these places even sometimes kind of resemble a temple actually in the way they're built. Some examples, one, the shopping mall. The shopping mall, I mean, think you walk into a shopping mall, these big, beautiful, exalted ceilings, sometimes with skylights opened up to the heavens. You walk through the mall, and there's these pictures of these people who are beautiful and have all the right clothes on, and they're smiling, and they're living the good life, and they're calling you to find the good life in the shopping mall. They're like evangelists for the shopping mall, and you're there, maybe just to get something you need, but you might be there because you've been feeling a little empty lately and you love to shop, and when you shop, you get that hole in your heart kind of filled up. There's a kind of a redemption there when you buy something new. You buy what you need, and Jamie Smith even describes the cashier at the end as a kind of priest who's overseen this transaction and then gives you the benediction, have a nice day, as you walk out of the store, back out into the world until you need another fix, and you come back to the shopping mall. An example of a temple of modern idolatry. Now I know the shopping mall is kind of passe now, not many people go to the malls anymore, but uh, the malls have been a big deal for many, many people for many years. How about the gymnasium? This place where we go to kind of remake ourselves, to kind of ward off death, We know the death is is coming, but the healthier we are, the more we can put that off. It's kind of a way of sanctifying our bodies. We go and there's a community of other people there and we're all in this same thing together and we exhort each other, we even admonish each other if we get off our plan and we see our bodies changing and we're moving toward this kind of perfection that we have in mind through this effort to reshape and remake our bodies. The gymnasium, about um, the stadium, the football stadium in, in particular. You look at a football stadium, this enormous stadium, and you see college football stadiums in particular that can hold hundreds of thousands of people, and they're filled up every Saturday afternoon and at other times. What do we do in the football stadium? Well, we sing songs of praise to our team. We go through certain rituals every time we get together to watch the game. We have this great unity with other fans. We're all together in this. And we're rooting for the destruction of our enemies. We're looking for victory. And when we win, we go away feeling like a kind of salvation has been achieved. And we rejoice and and we're glad and we sing more songs of praise. Temples of modern idolatry. Now again, let me be very clear, there, there is nothing wrong with going to the shopping mall. And there is nothing wrong with going to the gymnasium and working out and getting being healthy. That's a godly thing to do. There's nothing wrong with going to a football game and having a favorite team and rooting for your favorite team. The only time this becomes a problem is when you're devoted to these things while your spiritual life lies in ruins. When you go to these things to have your heart filled up, when you go to these things for all the encouragement, for for life, for hope, for a sense of identity in this world, when these things serve that purpose in your life, it's become an idol. And the places that you go to get that benefit is a kind of a temple. And so Haggai is calling on the people to Consider their priorities. Think about this. You remember what Jesus said Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus knows you're concerned about all these other things. He's just saying, Get your priorities in order and seek the kingdom first. And that's Haggai's concern here in chapter one. Well, the second thing he would call us to do is to consider the consequences. And by consequences, I mean the consequences of disordered or misaligned priorities. There are consequences to this, to forgetting God. And he gives several examples in verse six. He says, hey, guy, he says to the people, you've sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. When I read that, I think of the book of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. What Haggai is saying here is that when you worship other gods, when you leave God behind, when you put other things ahead of God, even though you might have a lot of these things, even though you might be uh, diligent in planting and eating, and you have plenty to eat, and plenty to drink, and you have plenty of clothes, there's something lacking all the time. You never have enough. And what Haggai is saying is this is a consequence of a life lived apart from God, when you leave your spiritual interests behind. You can be super active in all kinds of things in your life, but there's this emptiness inside, there's this malaise, there's this anxiety, even this despair. Even a despair. You have everything you need, but there's a despair. There's something's not right, and you know it intuitively. There's a band called Arcade Fire that that sings about this. They're not believers, as far as I know, but they say, Power is out in the heart of man. There's something wrong with the heart of man, they sing. You feel so right, so why can't you sleep at night? These are good questions. Asked by people who live in the modern age who have everything they need but sense a kind of emptiness to life. That's what Haggai is saying. That's the result. It's the natural result. It's the consequence of living a life apart from God. And so in verse 7, then Haggai says, Therefore, after all this, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Think about these things. Reflect on these things. Examine yourself. Do you have a time, friends, when you're alone and you're quiet and you can think about these things? Or are you so busy? Are you on the move so much? Are you so connected to your phone that you can't take a moment to reflect and consider your ways? And think about the consequences to misplaced priorities. Well, let's see how this works out in the temples of modern idolatry. Well, you know what it's like, you go to the mall, You get that new thing that you had to have and it's not long before it loses its shine and loses its appeal. And before too long, you gotta go back and you gotta get something else. (laughs) Because that last thing that you bought, it's not doing it anymore. I mean, not to mention the fact that as I said earlier, malls are closing all over the place. Mounds Mall in Anderson is closed. There's a lot of questions about whether the Muncie Mall is is going to even make it. And of course, that's been replaced by shopping on the internet. I, I get that, but there's just a temporary, a fleetingness to these things. The mall was the, the most important place to be when I was growing up. Everybody was there back in the 80s, and now they're closing and dying and going away. Well, with the gymnasium, yeah? You need to work hard, you need to be in shape, but you know what? Eventually your body's gonna wear down. Eventually you're gonna get old, eventually you're gonna get sick, death, is inevitable. You might be in tip-top shape right now and you might be very happy about that and I commend you for being in good shape, but you know, it's not gonna last. You can't escape the cloud of death. You're gonna die, no matter how many days you go to the gym. And when you're passed into the next life, your biceps and all that you did in the gym are just not gonna help you as you're facing your creator. There's a guy named Jerome Rodale. Jerome Rodale, he was one of the leaders in the organic food movement back in the early 70s. And he was on the Dick Cavett Show. Dick Cavett, this is back in 1971. And this guy is, is bragging about how healthy he is. He says, I'm gonna live to be 100 years old. And he says, I've never felt better in my life He says, I fell down the stairs the other day and I was laughing the whole way down. I feel so good, he said. And moments later, he slumped over and died. Right on the set. Right on the set. Had a heart attack and died. Paramedics came out and tried to help him. They couldn't revive him. Of course, that show was never put on on television for obvious reasons, but it's, it's well documented. Here's this guy boasting in how healthy he is and death caught up with them. And that's what's gonna to happen to all of us one day. How about as we think of <clears throat> the stadium? Yeah, we love our football teams, but truth is our teams lose a lot. <laughs> and you know, your mood in response to your team's loss will tell you how important your team is in your life. If you're crushed, that team probably has too high of a place in your hope and expectations. Our favorite stars retire. Teams even pick up and move to other cities. And now, what are you going to do? You don't have a team to root for. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, very famously said years ago, it was an interview on 60 Minutes, and he says, I've got three Super Bowl rings, but there's got to be more to life than this. Three rings, and he wasn't satisfied. And the interviewer said, Well, what do you think that is? He said, I wish I knew. He doesn't know. We know. You know. Consider the consequences. This is what Haggai is is saying. A life lived apart from God will result in this kind of emptiness. Um, So let's consider the last thing. Consider, then, in light of all this, turning back to God. That's what Haggai is going to tell the people here. Consider turning back to God. And so verses 12 through 15 explain this. And this is just a wonderful little passage. Um, It tells us the way things really ought to be, the way things are supposed to be. You know, as we go through these prophets, we see these repeated examples of the people rebelling against God, not listening to God, ignoring Him. And here in these verses, finally we have an exception. It's like, this is the way it's supposed to be. What happens is Haggai comes as God's messenger. It says in verse 13, that's again the prophet. He's got God's word on his mouth, and he delivers God's word to the people. And who is he speaking to here? Well, we have this list of names again. Uh, Zerubbabel, verse 14, Zerubbabel is there, and Joshua, the high priest, is is there. And, of course, Haggai is there. It's very interesting. You have Zerubbabel, who's uh, kind of a ruler, kind of a king. You've got Joshua, who's the high priest. You've got Haggai. Who's the prophet? Prophet, priest, and king, all represented here. And the people being preached to are uh, the, the remnant. The remnant, that is the people who have come back from exile to the homeland. Um, that's in verse 12, with all the remnant of the people. So you have a person proclaiming God's word, and you have a group of people listening. You know what that is? That's preaching. That's preaching. Haggai comes and preaches the word of God to people, and they respond. This is the way it's supposed to be. What does it say in verse 12? They obeyed. Obeyed the voice of the Lord. They heard God speaking. They're not obeying Haggai as a man. They're obeying the voice of the Lord their God as those words come through a man named Haggai. And they respond with obedience and not just obedience but a real specific repentance because you look down to verse 14 and it says at the end of that verse, they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their their God. They, They got to work. They did what God told them to do. This is the way it's supposed to work where a person preaches the word to God's people and they respond in obedience and repentance. That This is God's prescribed way of building up the church. You know, I mean, sometimes I think we look for other things. You know, we want to we wanna see a celebrity testimony. You know, I read the other day Kanye West has become a Christian. And, you know, I just wonder how many people are going to want Kanye West to come to their churches and speak. Because if Kanye West talks about Jesus, boy, everybody will believe. Or we look at other means of communicating the word through maybe video or comedic skits. You know, even small group meetings, all of these might be good, and they all might have their place, but none of these is like preaching. Preaching is the primary way that God has decreed to build up the people. This is what our confession says, or our catechism. How is the word of God made effectual to salvation? The answer: the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. And of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith and salvation. I know preaching sometimes seems a little little boring. Maybe you sometimes think, why am I here? But this is God's prescribed way. This is why it's important to be here on Sunday mornings and hear the word preached. Such a big deal to Haggai here that look at verse 15. He notes the very day that this happened. The 24th day of the month, the 6th month, and the 2nd year of Darius the king. They want the date written down when the people of God responded in obedience and repentance to the preaching of God's word. So, how do you and I then turn back to God? What what do we do in response to to all this? How do we turn back to God? How do you meet God? How do you come to know God? Do you build a temple? I mean, that's what Haggai's telling us, telling the people of God to do. Do you build a temple? Do, Do you have to go to a city? Do we have to get on a plane and go to Jerusalem? Because they're in Jerusalem, we'll meet God? No. The answer is no. And the reason is because we have to read the scriptures all together. We have to take the whole thing, Genesis to Revelation. And when we get to the New Testament, you'll find that we're told very specifically how the temple is fulfilled in various different ways. One way the temple is fulfilled, and most importantly, it's fulfilled in Jesus. John chapter 1, it tells us that the Word was with God, the Word was made flesh, and the Word tabernacled among us. That The Word of God came into our existence, tabernacled, made a tent, made His dwelling place on earth in the person of Jesus. What is Jesus called? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is the place where God makes his presence on this earth. And Revelation 21 tells us this. Speaking of the new Jerusalem, at the end of the age, I saw no temple in the city. No need for a temple. For its temple is now the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The Lamb referring to Jesus. God is the temple through Jesus. There won't be any temple, according to this verse, in the new heavens and the new earth. Because it's fulfilled in Jesus, but the temple is also fulfilled in the church. We are the temple. Look what Peter says, you yourselves, church, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All of us in this room are a stone in God's spiritual house. And as we gather people into the church, we're bringing in other stones that are building up this edifice, this temple. That's not a literal building, but the people of God. Now, of course, we come to a building like this to, to worship, but this is not the temple. The building's not the temple. You and I are the temple, according to 1 Peter. And then lastly, we see the temple fulfilled in you. In you as a believer in Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus, there's a sense in which you are the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Isn't that a remarkable thought? All these people going to the temple to be with God because that's where God dwelled. But through the gospel, God dwells in you. In you by his Holy Spirit. What a blessing. What a remarkable thing. What an amazing truth. So friends, if you're looking for God's presence, if you're wanting to know God, you're you're feeling empty, you're feeling anxious, you're near despair, you wonder if there's hope in this world, you want to know God, you don't go to a building, you don't go to a city, you, you go to a person. And the person's name is Jesus. And Jesus made temple sacrifice unnecessary any longer because Hebrews tells us he offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the final, perfect, and last sacrifice. A temple is not needed for other sacrifices because his is sufficient for your sins and for mine. If you want to know God and have relationship with God, go to Jesus. Repent and believe in his name. We are still in the temple building business, but we're not building a structure, we're we're building the church. We proclaim the gospel, we make disciples, we gather in people into a congregation knowing that God is building up his church like a spiritual edifice. This, friends, is the most important thing. (laughs) This is the most important thing in your life Knowing God, knowing your creator through faith in Jesus and taking your part in the building up of the church. Whatever that is and however small that might be, taking up your part, your place with your gifts, bringing them to the church, working to gather in and build up the temple of God. And to do that now together until every knee bows and until every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the prophet Haggai, we thank you that uh, you have reminded us of these precious truths, Lord, that you, Jesus, have come as our temple and now we come to you to know you and to have eternal life, so thank you, Father, for your word, help us as a church to grow and to be your presence in this fallen world until you come again, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.